Welcome to the final episode of Conduct Detrimental in 2023. Your host, Dan Luss, joined by the NIL crew, Taryn Sharma and Mike Lawson. And later on, we'll be joined by Mike Krivchenko. So team, on this episode, we're going to talk about the biggest stories of 2023 and what is to come in 2024. Um, I think if we could, this entire episode would be based around uh, college sports, but we got to dedicate this episode to both our college and our pro sports audience. So that said, before we get into business, Taryn, Mike, so you got hats, so you got beards. You guys, you guys living up vacation, Christmas, holidays, everything's good. Yeah, I'm out of the office, getting to uh, enjoy some work by by the beach. Can't beat it. Yeah, Christmas was great. Uh, New Year's is going to be great. I'm excited for all the big football games coming up. What could be better? Mike's got the playoff beard. I, I know what's going on. You're stroking that playoff beard. Playoff beard. Yeah, the Eagles need a lot of help. So I need I need some good juju for the Eagles. But oh, no, Christmas was great. New Year's is going to be great for me too. I've been working through it though. Like I haven't had like a vacation besides like the days off. So, but yeah. Taryn, remind me, when does your firm's billable hour season end? It's like a weird one, right? It's like mid-year? Yeah, we're end of April. End of April. It's so weird. Mike, what was yours? November. Yeah, mine's November. Yeah, November sweet. Condolences out there to all the December people. Like, New Year's kind of sucks because, well, like, it's kind of good because it's like you're done. You can celebrate, but um, it's all good. Okay, so again, just a general roadmap for this episode. What we did to research for this, we looked at for this portion of the podcast. We want to skip ahead to the pro sports side by all means, but we do tell you on the college sports side, this year was insane uh, for the the kind of overhauling of college sports rules, regulations, laws. Um, and, you know, it's really been the case for 2021, 2022, and 2023. We're really revamping college sports from its core. And that doesn't just mean NIL. It means conference realignment. It means transfer uh, the transfer portal. It means a lot of things. So we're going to talk about, again, the biggest in 2023, and we'll make some predictions as to the biggest in 2024. Uh, and then we're going to do a version of that on the pro sports side. But we do this for practitioners. Um, and I should mention, we took last week off, which was kind of odd, but Taryn was ill. Mike was growing his beard. And, um, you know, I had some excuse. So, you know, we, we took a week off, but we'll hit it home with a double episode this week. Big shout out to all of our uh, loyal listeners that came out to uh, our bar night and said that they listened to the podcast. They, they uh, like our little shenanigans on the podcast. So we do this for the practitioners that maybe are not, maybe some are in sports law, but maybe some are not in sports law, trying to break in, trying to lateral. So we try to keep you uh, abreast of all the different changes in our field. Okay. That said, Taryn, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to put you in the leadoff spot here. So I need first and foremost, first and foremost, in your opinion, what the biggest development to the college sports landscape was in 2023. Taryn, I'm going to put, give or take about a minute and a clock, your opening statement, counselor, and then, uh, you know, um, we'll, we'll figure it out from there. Thank you. And may it please the court. I think that the biggest story of 2023, I'm going to go off the grid a little bit here. I think it's Dartmouth men's basketball attempting to unionize. This is a second bite at the apple, I think, for the NLRB. And I know that we have so many other issues that are kind of before the NLRB, before the courts that might be uh, relevant or important, might even be considered the biggest. But what is the most important, I think, is that we have another group of student athletes that is trying to unionize. Eight years ago, uh, nine years ago, when Northwestern football and, and Kane Coulter was attempting to do this, I, Peter Orr, who was uh, at, at that time an interim commissioner, for the NLRB, he ruled in favor of Northwestern's football team, but the full NLRB ruled against them. I think things have changed so much in the less than a decade since 
We had Jennifer Abruzzo's memo that said that she doesn't believe that student athletes should be called student athletes because that is just a term that's designed to prevent them from uh, taking advantage of their full market value. And so when you have the GC saying that, I think that that, that is a really strong statement of how the NLRB feels. And so things have changed so much since 2014, at which point the the NLRB had said that they did not want to rule in favor of, uh, of Kane Coulter and Northwestern uh, football players because they didn't want to overturn the apple cart, essentially, because the Big Ten was one private association that had many uh, private university or, or just a couple of private universities and then several uh, public universities. They didn't want to set a ruling that was going to affect this very diverse group. I think that the apples are all over the place. They're completely spilled. And so uh, I, I think that the NLRB is in a position where they can do what they actually wanted to do initially about a decade ago and rule in favor of Dartmouth. And that then sets off an entire string of dominoes where we reach a, a unionization system and collective bargaining. And I think that, that is the way that the NCAA is ultimately going to get out of the antitrust issues that they have, which is to have a union collectively bargain away the rights that the students have. And so that's why I think that that is the biggest story of 2023. Mike? Obviously, that's the, I, I agree. I think that's a, that's a big one. Mine's a little bit more broad scope than that. I guess it was – I mean, I would say if, if we're going to go like a few years back, right, when NIL first kind of kicked off, it really started this domino effect of like the question of the future of what college sports is going to look like. So I thought that 2023 was kind of like the segue into like the culmination of really opening the floor about what truly the future of college sports might look like. And there's, there's a lot of things that are mixed in like within that. So obviously like what we just saw here, like what Tara was saying with Dartmouth and the unionization, that's been an issue, but that's this year started the full force effect of the potential for unionization employee status. We saw USC with their NLRB action as well. We've got the House case that's going to be a, a big case coming forward as it, as it moves closer to trial about, you know, because NIL has officially really made its mark on college athletics with, with, with 2023, I think. And we're seeing that the more money that these college athletes are making, uh, I, I saw something funny. I think it was uh, Arch Manning as a backup in college is making more money than Brock Purdy as like a potential MVP candidate this year. So like, it, it's interesting to see like the dynamic, the full shift. I think I think that tweet was somewhat debunked. That guy got screamed at in the in the replies. But the point is well taken. He's definitely earning more, but I think the number was uh. Yeah, I don't know the, if the numbers were employed. off, but I think it was it was basically saying that like college athletes have like a higher ceiling where they're making a lot more money than, than people who are just going to the league. Cause before right. it was, right. it, it, before it was, you know, I need to stay in college and get better so I can make more money in, in, in pro sports. Or like I have really great earning potential right now. If I jump into pro sports, I can make more money now that that's kind of shifted. So now we're seeing, we're going to see, if you will, you know, deeper rosters where like, guys are staying a couple of extra years, you know, than they might have before because they, they have a higher earning potential. We're seeing collectives and the way that the, the dynamic works with collectives and boosters and things like that. And that was kind of shaping up. And we saw the first, I guess, quote, 
NIL, you know, punishment, even though it wasn't NIL punishment with Miami. And, and we're seeing like the way that the NCAA is reacting to this. And then all the way leading up to the letter that Charlie Baker submitted, basically saying that he was going to create everybody was talking about this as being a big deal, but I think it was more like confusing. And we had a whole a whole episode being like, why this was more confusing than actually beneficial. It was a step in the right direction that the that the NCAA was finally willing to kind of concede and make this happen. But at the same time, like you've got conference realignment and transfer portal issues. So like, it's basically like everything is kind of like starting to like shape up of like the potential for what the future of college sports is going to look like. And 2023 was like the, the crux of that. I think that that's a really good point, Mike. I think you're leaving a really significant chunk out though. The increased involvement of the institutions and their athletic departments themselves within how the, the current landscape works, I think has been the biggest shift in there. So whether you think about Texas A&M, the 12th man plus, the NCAA specifically addressing that, uh, saying that you can't offer these ticket benefits to people for giving to the collective, to your uh, coaches and the administrators who used to beg donors to give money so that they could build better facilities so that they could recruit, recruit better are now begging them to give to the collective because otherwise, as PJ Flex says, you'll be a triple A ball club just getting poached by the, the bigger fish. So I think that that has been a monumental shift in how the, the system has worked. Dan? Okay. So this, this will blend in. So just for, for gatekeeping, I think Taryn, yours is Dartmouth basketball. I think Mike's is the changes to the role of the NCAA. I think that's that's fair. There's been some seismic shifts. Also, we should note this is the first um, year of Charlie Baker, so I think that's a that's a fair addition. So, Taryn, you mentioned the term poach. Um, I'm going to say that this it's a little bit cheating um, because it's going to kind of move into 2024. But I, I think the changes, um, which have become somewhat official from the NCAA in the last couple of weeks, a story that we have not covered on this podcast yet. Um, it's funny since you guys were last on a couple weeks ago, which maybe maybe we'll address it here. I don't know what you're what you guys are planning for your 2024 stories, um, but FSU is fighting to leave. You know the ACC you have the Pac-12 settlement, but this one was was a pretty big one. We haven't covered Raekwon Battle and this you know this court case pending in West Virginia, filed by seven attorney generals, really attacking uh, this concept of the transfer portal and the NCAA's prohibition on free transfers to second and third time uh, transfers. So. You know, the rule had been for some time, you get one free transfer, you don't have to sit out a year. During the COVID era of 2020, people had kind of taken advantage of it. And a topic that we have covered on the past, Tez Walker, the uh, University of North Carolina wide receiver, had transferred, I think technically, you know, it was going to be his third transfer to UNC. That was denied until the North Carolina attorney general stepped in. I think his name is Josh uh, Stein, Stein, something like that. So when the attorney general stepped in, all of a sudden the NCAA balked and they said, you know what, Tez Walker can play. And, you know, UNC basically won this without having to go to court. So it's a little bit like in the law, you open up Pandora's box. If the NCAA was going to cave when when one attorney general stepped up in North Carolina, what would happen if seven attorney generals all combined forces to try to attack this rule in general? So that's what this case is. Uh, Raekwon Battle, it's, it's a case filed by seven attorney generals, including from North Carolina. So I think it's I think it's Josh Stein, but they all combined forces and they're now basically saying that the NCAA's prohibition on a free transfer from a second, third or fourth time violates antitrust law in the sense that it's a restriction of trade, that these players can't have freedom to transfer wherever they want. Who is the NCAA to tell these student athletes what they can and can't do? They're not employees. You shouldn't be able to have that right. So 
you know, certainly we can talk about employee rights. I think, Taryn, to your point, the Dartmouth basketball is a, is a really big story. But I don't we haven't really had any movement in 2023. Dartmouth filed the case like Northwestern filed the case. They didn't prevail. Mike, I think you're right about, you know, this big change that, you know, the NCAA is signaling they might do in 2023. But what the NCAA has done in 2023 is basically agreed, you know, with basically a federal court judge in, in West Virginia saying that they're going to allow this temporary window to the transfer portal to extend through the end of the spring season. So I'm not quite sure what that's going to entail for the space, but the NCAA certainly has responded. And this might just be a sign of things to come that they're going to allow free and unfettered player mobility, which again, you know, I, I might be a college football purist in some ways. I don't really quite know what that looks like, but if you're someone that's in favor of athletes getting paid and making money, uh, the more times you can transfer, the better. That's like we've talked about in the show, like LeBron James, one year free agency over and over and over. I think that's a very big move. And the NCAA is kind of telling you what they are probably going to do in 2024. So let's see what happens in that case, uh, the Raekwon battle case. But I think that's a pretty big one in 2023. Taryn, Mike, anything on that? Or are you ready to move on to uh, 2024? I think you're right. And, and I think that that kind of fits in with what we expect if that super NCAA plan that that Charlie Baker had teased is going to come to fruition, that group of institutions can collectively bargain with the the student athletes or, you know, you have to sign some sort of contract in order to participate in that group and uh, and you receive a cut of the profits and uh, and your mobility is restricted. You essentially have some sort of non-compete unless you're going to go down a level you're not allowed to to freely transfer. And so I think that, yeah, that's a huge story. And then we'll probably see more from that. And and to me, that's not the dying gasp of the NCAA. I think that that's a legitimate plan, the super, super NCAA, that that could result in a, a lasting kind of arrangement that not only allows the NCAA and its schools to continue functioning in somewhat similar fashion, but to allow the players to profit. I think what that crossover is too with the transfer portal is is what's interesting and what we talked we've talked about we we've had episodes on this about the differing state legislation for NIL laws and the and the difference that the schools you know Taryn you mentioned that the schools involvement versus some states that don't allow allow school involvement there's states that allow high school and NIL and some states don't allow high school NIL so there's like all these different areas where somebody's going to transfer to a school or transfer to a state that has laws that are more advantageous for an athlete with a higher ceiling of potential profits or or accessible NIL deals. So I think this was a big year too that the NCAA finally realized that. We've talked about this and since since NIL became a thing in 2021, like we talked about that as like there is going to be a race to the bottom where these states are going to try to get as much of an advantage for their schools as possible with these state bills. That's where we saw this year the proposals for all the federal bills. And again, I think that's that that's going to leak into 2024 and probably, if I'm being honest, maybe 2025 before they can actually get something that they agree on in a federal you know, NIL bill. We've talked about the proposals and and the way that these politicians work about sneaking in different types of benefits. We talked about that where like the proposed bill had like this insurance benefit for these athletes too, which was leaking towards the potential employee status of these athletes. So it kind of all crosses over, but it was also the final, I think it was finally an acknowledgement of the NCAA being like, okay, we can't just let the States run this show that we need to have more of a control here. And our role is to facilitate that. And I think that that's how, how it always should have been, but it wasn't until Charlie kind of came in and was like, we need to 
really be able to facilitate this better for our schools, our athletes, our conferences? I guess I'll I'll go first on the back end. What's to look forward to in 2024? I'm, I'm maybe I'm cheating a little bit again. Um, there's a lot of topics here, and we could go on for this for hours and hours trying to condense this to a, a neat little uh, podcast here. You know, kind of been going with the theme of my last one, right? So, so Tez Walker uh, had an interesting scenario. He transferred once, transferred twice. Then he wants to go to UNC. And, you know, it's the same exact argument that was being made um, by Raekwon Walker or Raekwon Battle, who basically went to Washington. Then he went to, uh, I think, Montana State. And then he tries to transfer to West Virginia. So my theme for 2024 is these lawsuits having a real impact on the fabric that is the NCAA. So, I mean, we can go through any number of cases. Uh, we could talk about House versus NCAA. We talk about Carter versus NCAA, all cases that people should kind of look up. We're not going to talk about them here. Johnson versus NCAA. It seems that the fabric of the NCAA seems to be folding. And, and the NCAA has, and, and the reason I bring up the Tez Walker scenario, the NCAA folded to the pressure that was the attorney general's office. I'm not quite sure what that means, but you know, like if the NCAA is going to publicly cave to the, you know, North Carolina attorney general, um, now they're being sued for the exact same case by seven attorney generals and they caved to that. So now you have all these lawsuits demanding money from the NCAA for uh, back pay and, and any number of different varieties where NIL should have been loud or, you know, uh, people should have been allowed to get more than granted aid for these you know last couple of decades. I'm not quite sure how the NCAA responds to it, but we have seen the NCAA have a willingness to try to get ahead of some of these lawsuits. Now, I guess what I'm looking forward to in 2024 is what the NCA does to try to right the ship, if there is anything here. So, Mike, I guess I'm looking at what you kind of said in 2023. The question is like, okay, the NCA is making these seismic shifts, right? Like Charlie Baker's out making these crazy proposals. We have all of these daggers, all of these lawsuits pointing at the NCA. And if they lose on all these lawsuits, the NCA doesn't have enough money to cover these losses. I don't know what their insurance policies are, but I doubt they have enough money here. So I'm looking squarely at what the NCA will do in response to these lawsuits. That I think has to be the biggest story in 2024. Um, Mike, I'll I'll let you jump in first because I kind of pigging off of your 2023, but I, I think that's a big one for next year. And and my 2024 is actually kind of what you're saying. You're looking for what the NCAA is going to do. And I'm thinking that 2024, the biggest story is going to be that the NCAA is now completely almost defunct in a way. And because I think I already know what they're you going think to do. You think that's the prediction. You think I, that the NCAA is going to cease to exist. That's bold, Mike. Mine wasn't that bold. That's in a minutia of like piece of the sense of what the NCAA is as a governing body. I think what they're going to be is kind of a shell of what they are and have been. And I can, and I am predicting that only because of what Charlie Baker has now proposed. The NCAA is sick of being sued. They are sick of all of these antitrust cases. They believe that they've had antitrust, you know, protections. They believe that this is something that they have been able to operate under. And Alston was the first time that they kind of, that got blown up for them. So Ever since the Alston case, all of these other case, all of these other cases really had legs. And I mean, House is a huge one because House is the one that actually correlates with NIL because Alston was, you know, permissible educational be you know, benefits and things like that. But for House, these are athletes who had actual value in their social media content and could have made money, but couldn't because of the amateurism model and because of the prevention of that. So the NCAA is being sued because of their blocking of that. Now what the NCAA is doing, so because they're so sick of being sued, they're pushing the responsibility off on somebody else. So they want to create a super NCAA and those conferences are going to create the rules. And the NCAA says, we'll step in to be maybe like an arbiter or like monitor like the rules and following the rules and things like that. We can assist with that, but you guys create your league. You guys create your rules. 
you guys communicate with the athletes and what you guys want to do, that's fine. Hands off. This is going to be all on you because they're not there. The lawsuit, I said this before, the lawsuits aren't going to stop. The defendant is just going to be the only thing that changes. It's not going to be against the NCAA. It's going to be against this super conference or super NCAA, whatever this ends up being, because it's not going to be created in the sense that it's the NCAA, but it's going to be whatever this super conference is. So the way that the model is now going to shift is that the NCAA is going to be more hands-off and they're just monitoring and kind of being a, a enforcer of, of these rules that are created, but it's not going to be antitrust case. It's not going to be House versus NCAA. It's not going to be Johnson versus NCAA. It's going to be it's going to be whatever you know, House versus Super Conference, whatever it is, or against the, each individual conference. Because I think the conferences themselves can have the authority and the autonomy to run their conferences how they see fit. And I think the NCAA is kind of shifting to a model like that too. I have a quick comment on that. I mean. It seems like we're we're generally on the same page, Taryn. Before I go on my soapbox, is there any chance that your 2024 is going to have anything to do with conferences before I say anything? Nope. Go ahead. It's going to have nothing to do with conferences. Well, it has to do with conferences, but it's about a uh, very specific school. Okay. I'll say it quick. Mike, I, I think you and I can align for this. This I think we're kind of saying the same thing. It's like, we're looking forward to what the NC is going to do, how they're going to interact with these conferences. So I, I think that this, and, and just so people know where we're coming from, when Taryn keeps, uh, when we're all saying super NCA, you can go back a couple episodes. We're talking about Charlie Baker's proposal to separate the haves and the have-nots within Division One sports. So we can call it Super NCA. We could call it the separation, you know, of the have the have-nots. I think I like to call it the uh, the Mickey Mouse League, right? Because you're you're having the the real like the Division One League with the powers, and then you know the the lower Power Five or the Group of Five schools in theory. Okay, so Taryn, I'll let you have the last word here, and then um you know we'll kind of do do some overarching thoughts on college sports, but. Um, I want to be mindful of everyone's time. So, Taryn, give give us your 2024. I think you said it was about one school. So I'm I'm curious who you're going to talk about here. Yeah, I'm going to talk about Florida State University. Obviously, okay. they've been big time in the news. And I'm not talking about the the college football playoff stuff and, and senators writing letters because they don't have anything better to do but insider trade or whatever. I, I'm talking about the, the possible involvement of private equity in assisting Florida State in raising the money necessary to pay an exit penalty. And I think that, that that is a huge shift because it's something that we have not seen at the college level. Um, we've seen private equity get sort of more involved in, in professional sports of late. We have some holding companies that, that own teams. Uh, you think about how Liberty Media owns the Atlanta Braves and you can publicly trade that in the same way that you can publicly trade Manchester United but we have not had that at the college sports level. And I think what we might see here is a very specific case where uh, uh, private equity has a, a reason to get involved. They have money that they want to spend on something that they think will be increasingly lucrative. And the school has a vested interest in needing this money to accomplish its overarching goals. Florida State University sees itself as being a national power. It's something that uh, I think that we take for granted, but Florida State, as we know it now, has been built in essentially what is a generation and a half. It was not this before Bobby Bowden took, it, took over the program and started saying, like, we'll play anyone, anywhere, anytime, and going on the road and beating 
other traditional powers to turn Florida State into what it is now, which is a, a top 20 sort of program in in the country. Every year in the 90s, they, they finished top five, uh, which is an unbelievable stat that will uh, maybe never be uh, repeated except by, uh, by Alabama. And so I, I think what we have here is a, a board that is managing the university that is motivated to get them out of their current contract. The uh, ACC's contract with ESPN is notably not very lucrative as compared to the new contracts that have been signed by the SEC with ESPN and by the Big Ten with uh, with CBS. Those contracts are new, so they are way more lucrative to each individual institution in a way that the ACC contract, which has been in place for some time, is not. And so uh, I believe it was last week, there was an hour-long board call, which was public. Florida has sunshine laws. They're required to publicly release either the video or the minutes of these meetings. So Florida State University had their uh, their board get together. And, and what they wanted to make clear, and they said this several times, is that this is not about the college football playoff leaving them out. They were left out, the first undefeated Power Five team to be left out. No, I, I Dan, I, you're, you're I'm making a face like I'm like I'm not quite sure about that, but keep going. No, no, I, I think it's I think it's coincidental timing, honestly, because all of the work that that goes into filing the complaint. They were making a stink. The, they were making a stink about the ACC grant of rights before this. They were right. like for months prior. Yes. Yeah. And 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 so that's why I think that it wasn't necessarily motivated by this. I think that that pushed them and it made it. It was related, even, somewhat related. I think it made it a bigger story because of the timing. But I think that they wanted to get out of the uh, the ACC for some time. And so they filed suit in Florida yet. Do you have something? I want to give you the numbers. I have some, I think some, some interesting numbers on that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, Taryn, I think you're right. And the only reason I'm, I'm giving you a little bit of pushback here, they're related. The two concepts are related. Why does Florida State want out of AC, the ACC grant of rights and the ACC television deal out of the ACC conference in general? Number one, they're not making as much money as other schools, according to the, the television contracts. Like that's, right. you know, it's, it's hard to compete when you're making, you know, this is a graph from the uh, the 38 page complaint filed by Florida State against the ACC. And, I, and we should mention just for legal framing, Florida State has filed a declaratory judgment action. It's a battle of the forms right now. We'll see where it turns out. The ACC turned around and I don't say turned around. They preemptively sued Florida State in North Carolina to try to get a better forum because you'd think Florida is going to want to sue in Florida because Florida mm -hmm. State's going to want to sue in Florida for, for their own purposes. And then the ACC wants to have a suit filed anywhere else but uh, Florida. So North Carolina might be a better forum. So yeah. we won't get into that. I'm sure that'll be re resolved at some point. We'll, we'll cover it when we have a development there. Now, according to Florida State, the 2024 per member per member media rights revenues by conference. So the SEC in 2024, SEC schools will make approximately $60 million each because of their television contract. Okay. Interesting. Big 10, their schools will make just over 60, about 65 million per member per school. And that expires in 2030. Okay, so those we, we talk about like the biggest power five conferences. We always talk about the SEC and the Big Ten. It's not just because of perception. It's not because of that. Like, I don't know, the Pac-12 had like five schools floating around like the top 10 all year. So like, I don't know, Pac-12 on, on the field was pretty good. RIP Pac-12. We'll talk about that in a minute. But um, ACC schools in 2024 in a TV contract that expires in 2036, they'll make just over 30 million per school. So that's for the next, and, and those are contracts that don't expire for 
somewhere between seven and 10 years. So that's the landscape. For the next seven to 10 years, the ACC will be a little brother to the SEC and the Big Ten. So if Florida State wants to compete on a financial level in the next seven to 10 years, they have to get out of that. Um, one other note, Taryn, and I'll give it back to you. The real gist of that lawsuit is whether these withdrawal fees that the FSU would pay, whether they're really binding, enforceable, or they're just like, I don't know, completely you know, BS. Back in 2013, I will say back in 2011, the, exit, the ACC withdrawal penalty to leave the ACC conference was $21 million. A lot of money, right? Maybe not a lot of money to like Florida State, but like a lot of money to like normal people. The withdrawal fee in 2023 that's been amended and changed by the ACC yeah. is now $572 million. So yeah. it's really a lawsuit brought to see whether that change in the withdrawal fee is enough. Because we could talk about how big of a deal it is, the television contracts, whatnot. If there was a, a really just and fair amount of money that FSU could pay to get out, they would just do it if they really thought it was worthwhile. But $572 million to to be in a different football conference, like, they're going to try to see a court's redress and, you know, the amount of legal fees they would spend on this declaratory judgment action, if they win, is well worth that that delta between 21 million and 572. So the numbers are really significant for purposes of that lawsuit. So this is why, Taryn, you know, if we're talking about specific cases in, in 2024, you can imagine a lot of schools trying to head to the exits of the ACC if they can get out of this deal. So, yeah, I, I just wanted to provide some color and specifics on that. Yeah, that's helpful. And and I think that that really kind of paints the picture in terms of why they, they're not just paying it. It's because I don't think that most schools uh, and Florida State would be amongst these can afford $572 million. And there's not really even like, I'm not even sure how you begin to broach settlement in that case, because it's not like they can really afford $300 million either. It's still a significant amount of money, which is why I think if if they lose this, the private equity thing is kind of a backup, right? If they if they are able to put their broadcasting rights into a holding company and then sell that whole the the membership interest of that holding company into a, a private equity company and receive the profits from that, that then changes what their financial might is. And and I believe that they think that if they're able to get that investment, that they can then compete with the Alabamas, the Ohio States of the world in a way that they're not able to right now. And and so what all this might mean, I guess you're right, Dan, it is tied to a conference because if Florida State is able to successfully challenge the grant of rights, you're right that I, I think that the that is the death of the conference. Right now, the, this grant of rights supposedly goes through 2036 or something like that. And so if they're able to win and the number is zero. I, I think that clearly opens the door that these other schools are going to get out because Florida State is one of the big fish in the conference. I think it's going to be very difficult to to sell the TV rights when you lose that team, uh, even if you are replacing them with Cal, Stanford, and SMU. And, and that's another issue that Florida State has is that they don't believe that those schools are of their ilk. And, and numerous times in the filing, they say that SMU has been passed up by the Big 12 for membership. And they said it like three or four times saying that the SMU is basically not worthy of being a power five school and, and that the ACC went ahead over the objections of Florida State and some other schools, including North Carolina, I believe, to add those three schools so that they, if 
in the event these schools began to leave, that they would still be able to fulfill their television contract for the uh, remaining schools. So I think it's a huge story, but particularly because of this, this foreign investment aspect, will the public investment fund come in here and the private equity investment aspect? Do you think so? so you're another bold prediction, Taryn, if I heard that. You think there's a world that that Saudi Arabian money gets invested into college college sports? I think it's possible. Uh, Matt I wouldn't. Brown, I wouldn't rule it out. You, I'm not. I'm. I'm only half kidding. Like, why? Why yeah. wouldn't they at a certain point? No, they they've done uh, EPL right. They're they're all over golf. Can you it's, imagine? Can you imagine what that would look like? And it shouldn't be. We shouldn't hold college sports so sacred. Like they, it's a it's a for profit venue, right? Everyone's making a ton of money here. And if they're getting their hands in on uh, the NBA and Formula One and WWE, and we're seeing how much money is in in college sports, like. The ratings, I'm just going to say it, like the ratings for a Michigan final, Michigan versus whoever, like Texas, really Michigan, Texas. I don't know if Michigan, Washington would have crazy ratings, but the ratings for Michigan, Texas, if that ends up being your, your national championship, that'll be on par with any any football game, any NFL game. Maybe not maybe not like the Super Bowl or anything like that, but the top rated NFL games of the year, I think it'll be right, right there. So, no, I think, Taryn, I think that's a great one. No winners and losers on this. I think we can all say that we're all winners, right? We're all we're all following the landscape pretty closely. Okay, so let's do this. You know, obviously, we're lawyers talking about sports law stories. While we have Taryn, Taryn's on lovely, lovely vacation in an undisclosed island. Is that a fair way to describe where you are? That's right. Exactly. Do, do they have Wi-Fi on this island, Taryn? Yeah, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. That's a threat. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> As we're wrapping this portion up, Taryn, we got a lot of lawyers, law students to listen to this. You're, Taryn, how many years are you removed from law school? Second. second. Yeah. Okay. What's something that you've learned this year as an attorney, as a second year attorney or second year out of school, now working in private practice at a, at a pretty prestigious firm in Minnesota? Like, What's something you could share with our listeners about your your experience? We'll keep it keep it tight. And Mike, we'll go to you and then uh, we'll, we'll wrap the college sports side before we get it over to uh, to Mike, Mike K. Kravchenko. I'd like to think that this was a, a year of great growth. For me, um, the thing is, when you start practice, right, you don't know anything. And then you start to learn like a couple of things. And for me, what was really helpful is writing down all the things that I knew that I would need to do and then trying to follow that in order to be proactive, because being proactive means that you're being helpful. And uh, and so that's something that I'm going to continue to work on. And uh, and I think that it's a great tip for anyone who's just starting out. It's pretty good, Taryn. Uh, Mike, you're up, buddy. <laughs> so this year, I mean, I'm going into in April will be my fourth year of my com completion of my three years of practice. So leading into my fourth year of practice, I think it's this was a big year for client engagement, you know, client communication and making sure that clients are always one up to date, but two on the same page. So that, that was a big deal, being able to have a good relationship with my clients and making sure that you know I'm doing everything I possibly can to keep their best interests at the forefront of, of my practice. I think that's a good one. I'm going to give two quick ones. One is for, neither of you are saying this is good. I'll say this, and then I'll say the one that's more for me as a, as a 10th year. When the longer you get out, like you will, you will inevitably be at a firm at some point or a legal employee at some point in your career where you don't where you maybe you like personalities are budding with a particular partner or someone like more senior, or maybe someone at your level. The longer you practice, the longer I think you can learn to stomach some of those personalities. I'll say like when I was your your guy's age and I was second, third year, I'm not going to mention any any names, but they were like, I, I like I didn't understand how to deal with troublesome lawyers that were giving me a really hard time on what we'll say like 
I, we'll say micromanaging. I think that's I think that's the fair term. But as you get older, as you get more experienced, those personalities tend to disappear more to the background, or you just become experienced enough to learn how to deal with them. So I don't know who needs to hear this. Maybe there's a handful of people that need to hear this, but they're at every firm that you're going to go, there's someone that's going to just be a thorn in your side. And you just got to, you can't let that person win. You got to kill them with kindness. You got to smile. If that person's been at the firm longer than you and you start button heads with them and you start going around their back and reporting them, like you, you could do that. I don't want to say you can't do that. But you got to find a way to kill them with kindness and know that it'll get better. Know that, you know, eventually this person will subside. And a lot of those are like, I don't know, again, when you come into these troublesome personalities, hopefully you never do. But a lot of that's a person just trying to, A, if we're trying to be glass half full, trying to get the best out of you, which people claim to do. Or B, they're trying to see if you're tough enough to survive. And if you can weather the storm, generally that person goes away. And I've been at firms where that person has become a very big um, ally of mine after I survived the storm. So second, third year, that's probably when you're most prone to get those uh, personalities coming after you. So I'll say that's my advice to the the um, kind of uh, you know younger crop of lawyers, which is an important thing. Last thing, and then we'll call it, unless you guys have comments here. I remember being a second or third, you know, like right around your guys' age. And I remember seeing like more senior people at the firm. And I'm like, again, I'm not gonna mention any names, but I was working at a firm and I remember a partner at that firm telling me what their book of business was. And they, they told me my book of business is, and they said a seven figure number. And I remember thinking, I'm like, how does that happen? And this person was, we'll say decades out of law school, like, you know, like 20, 30 years out. And I'm like, how does he, and I remember talking to the person, I'm like, how did this even happen? Like, how did you, how do you get client number one to get the client two? And like, how does it get to like over a million dollars? I just didn't, didn't understand that. And I, I didn't really understand it until again, like you get older, you kind of just, you meet more people, you compound, you start publishing, you start doing stuff. Like, I, I think people really want to know as a, as a young lawyer, like how you build a book of business. And I think it starts just like, again, this is going to sound so cliche, I think you, your your network is really going to depend on on the referrals you get, the case you get in, and the stronger your network is with people in in positions of power, being uh, you know associate general counsel for a, a sports team or sports agents. Like if we're really talking about sports based cases or coaches, right? For uh, you know for college coach, pro coach, people that have those type of networks. If you become very close with them and they and they see that you you know, very capable, you're at a firm that's very capable, you might get those referrals. So the stronger those connections are, the more likely you are to get those referrals and the more likely people will think of you when those cases come up. Now, that partner that I was referencing, like, I don't know, a long time ago, that wasn't in sports. That was in like a very specific, um, I'll make up an industry, but let's pretend it was like the restaurant slip and fall society, whatever it was. And he, this person was like the president of that group and this and this, and he became so influential in that group that people thought of him for referrals. So no matter what legal group you're in, speaking on panels, joining your local bar association, showing up at a New York City bar nights on one week's notice, if you're looking to be a sports lawyer in New York City, I think that stuff's really helpful. So no shortage of that. And uh, I think, as we've said on this podcast in the past, it is never too early to start building your networking empire. And you do it by stuff like this. Listen to the podcast, connecting with people. I don't think there's any shortage for that. So um, that's as a 10th year, you know, who's now more tasks with building business. I think that's something I, I didn't like. You just, as a second and third, you're not really, and I don't want to say this in a bad way. Maybe there are some exceptions to the rule, but people put too much pressure on themselves to bring in business as a second year. I talked to one of our listeners of the podcast about a month ago. I won't mention their name, but they called me. They were first year and they're like, my boss tells me I have to bring in business. So how do I do it? And I'm like, 
I hate to say it, but it might be impossible to do it as a first year. It might be. So yeah, don't put too much pressure on yourself. Just learn your craft as Mike and Taryn, you guys are doing a good job in. And those relationships, they'll foster over time. They'll compound. And if you think you're close to someone after knowing them for a year, it'll get even closer to your second, your third year. But your job now is to identify those people that might be sources of business and strike up real, genuine, honest to God relationships with them. And then hopefully they think of you when stuff comes up. But that's how to do it. It's a war of attrition. It's going to happen as you start making that march towards partner and all that fun stuff. Okay. Taryn, you're looking at me like, I need to get back to the beach, Dan. Why do you keep talking? Anything else to add, Taryn? No, I uh, appreciate all our listeners. And if you're anything like me, when you're listening, you're you're yelling about all the things that we're saying that you don't agree with. So uh, let us know in the comments. What stories did we miss? And uh, and would love to engage on that. Okay. Taryn, I know you have a date at the Cheesecake Factory. So head on That's out. Right. Mike That's and I exactly will take it from right. here. Get the uh, chocolate peanut butter cheesecake. It's delicious. My daughter's favorite. And uh, I'll see you in 2024, my man. All right, guys. See ya. So Taryn is gone. We are joined now by Mike Krevchenko. So I got Mike and Mike to finish off the pod. We'll, we'll see how long we have Mike Lawson for. Um, a reminder, uh, our podcast, each and every episode, sponsored by Themis Bar Review, our oldest sponsor on the podcast. Uh, if you are looking to find out more about Themis, you can just Google them on the fun Google machine. But um, if you're really looking to learn more about the differences between Themis, certainly reach out to us. The people that... Uh, I really try to make it a priority to speak to are those that um, ask me about Themis as uh, not really contractually obligated, but Themis is a great partner of ours. So we're constantly trying to advise uh, that Themis is the greatest bar prep company in the world. Um, Mike, hey, uh, of the three of us, you're the only one that hasn't taken the bar yet. Um, which bar prep company will you be using? The best bar prep company on planet Earth, Themis Bar Prep. Themis Bar Review. Okay. Um, so what we did in the first half of the show, uh, we covered... The biggest stories in 2023 and those yet to come in 2024, a lot of it was focused on kind of big picture NIL transfer portal, NCAA issues, uh, some fun ones that we spent a lot of time covering in the podcast. We'll, we'll call it honorable mention. Uh, Mike, let's do, um, I'm going to get first pick here. You ready for this one that didn't come up that I think is huge? Yeah. Uh, how about the coach drama? Mel Tucker getting fired from Michigan State uh, from an alleged, we'll say, non-consensual phone sex um, incident. Um, well, debatable if it's consensual or non-consensual. Um, I thought that was really big. Um, and they got rid of a coach that was owed, I think, close to $100 million. And then similarly at Northwestern, a hazing incident uh, spells the end for Coach uh, Fitzgerald over there who had been there. It's like an institution who was there for 20 years or so. And like I think they were like within 30 days of one another, the Big Ten loses two uh, very big coaches, Mel Tucker and, and Pat Fitzgerald. So I, I thought the story and the drama relating to the wrongful termination, I think still both two pending lawsuits by coaches against institutions for mil tens of millions of dollars um i don't know that could that could have made our list of biggest stories in 2023 and those to come in 2024 I, I but you know at the end of the day just kind of morals clauses uh and getting kicked out but i thought there was some drama in there so that that's my pick mike it, it definitely could have and and going along with that you've got northwestern michigan state and then as well as michigan i think michigan was a big story too the science stealing scandal jim harbaugh's um you know three game suspension connor stallions yeah, it is. It, I mean, it that could have been, you know, it, that definitely could have been on, on our list. So that was a huge, a huge deal uh, and everything that was going down at, uh, at Michigan football, especially given the status of where Michigan ended up at the, at the end of college football uh, um, season. I think that's definitely on the list. I got one more and then Mike will kick it over. Mike K will kick it over to you to our, our pro sports list. Um, when we were going through our archive of episodes in, in 2023, 
I, you know, Mike, Mike Lawson, you and I were going out together and I'm like, wow, Jaden Rashada, that whole controversy happened this year. Um, and also another fun one, Jaden, Jaden Rashada, the, the tug and pull between uh, Miami, Florida, the collectives. Um, and this Jaden Rashada ends up transferring to Arizona state. Um, uh, kind of an interesting aside, had a very, I think, unmemorable year or slash memorable because it was so bad. He was injured on and off the field. Arizona was getting blown out in a couple games. Um, that was a guy that at one point thought he was getting $13 million. So statute of limitations, I think in Florida for breach of contract, I think it's five five years. I think it's four years on an oral contract. It's, it's either four or five years, but we have not seen the end of that contract uh, or, or that dispute. So Jaden Rashad is an interesting one. And then earlier this year, the Cavender twins with their uh, quote unquote NIL punishment slash punishment. Some people are calling it not an NIL, but that all happened in early 2023. So that's been quite a year for college sports. So I said, we could have done the whole episode on college sports, but I digress. This is a sports podcast. We talk about college sports and we talk about pro sports. Um, Mike L. Um, with um, we're gonna Mike K's list. We have the big reveal. Um, Mike Lawson, what do you think your biggest pro sports story is that that uh, happened in in 2023 that we covered on the podcast? Biggest one. I would that we covered in 2023. I we're, think... Mike, we're about to audit your list, Krepchenko. We're about to audit your list. There's going to be a lot of pressure on this. That's Mike okay. gets one one shot here. Uh, you want me to give five? Or no, like one. Top, just your number just one. Just my top one? I mean, obviously, it's it's got to be the the the, the closeout of, of the Washington Commanders and the Dan Snyder you know, saga. I think that the final official sale of the Commanders, I think, was probably a, a, a good finish uh I would, I would probably put that in my top okay okay paul uh, just we'll pause that we'll we'll pin that mike you were not you submitted your list to me ahead of time you cannot change it mike krepchenko and i have my number one that i hope hope appears on the list very high uh mike lawson you've been an incredible asset to conic detrimental our first producer ever on the show you've been with us for now going on three and a half years so uh appreciate your all your contributions wishing you a very happy and healthy and uh to all the best in 2024 my man happy new year fella Okay. Mike Krevchenko, you were alone on the hot seat, my friend. Um, Mike Lawson, listen, he was the original Mike on the podcast, but there's certainly room for more than one Mike, especially one like yourself that's been such a tremendous asset. You've been really the rookie of the year, right, in 2023 for Conduct Detrimental. Fair award to give you? Thank you. You know, I, I, I think, uh, you know, I think we still got some time left. Uh, you know, the shorts, you know, you told me it's like, you know, next year I'd like to finish strong, you know, start strong, finish strong. You know, when you say that there's year. still time left, do you mean like <clears throat> the two days left in 2023 that someone can surpass you in that short window here? You never know. I mean, someone might come up with, uh, you know, this huge sponsorship or, you know, a viral video. So, you know, they could. I, or, I still got some clips to put out. Or they could uh, give another Gavin White, um, you know, like $100,000. No, it's See? possible. Um, I've <laughs> no, been in touch with you. Gavin. Gavin's a good dude. Gavin is a good dude. My my Dr. Pepper guy from the last episode. Um Okay, so um, last year, uh, I'm going to give a little bit of superlatives, um, but I want to make sure we, we cover the top five stories. So that's a little bit of pressure from Mike. Now, um, you cannot change your list. You've already submitted to it. Uh, Ernst & Young is, uh, is auditing your list and uh, timestamps and geolocations of your list. Was the Dan Snyder saga on your top five list? Uh, you know, it wasn't just because it I've... was not. Yeah, wow. Mean, wow. It's not, like not it, off the strong start here. I feel like it was just so played out. Uh, laid out yeah it took so long it was just it, it doesn't see it doesn't strike me as a 2023 thing it seems like yes it concluded in 2023 but i don't know it didn't the hottest part of it i don't think happened last year 
That's fair. Uh, you might. Uh, I don't know if I agree with you, but okay. Without further ado, let's go one by one. Um, okay. You want, let's go start at five. We'll make our way down. I have my so, list. I do uh, want to do want to tell you my list uh, was that I texted you was not in order. So I will. I have it in order now. Um, but okay. It's all oh. the same five, but now it's in order. <laughs> okay. Listen, a little bit of shenanigans, but I'm all for it. Okay, Mike, give us uh, your number five biggest story in pro sports. We got rid of the college sports. Pro sports in 2023. Yeah, I think uh, it may seem somewhat, uh, you know, small in the grand scheme, but I think it's a little bit bigger. The baby Gronk situation, I think Gronkowski saved baby Gronk a little bit uh, in kind of pushing back towards his father and the control. And why I think this is such a big deal this year was that I think it might have uh, maybe had future parents on a little bit of wary of what they're going to do with their kids in the future you know maybe do things a little bit better behind the scenes and not so much uh you know outwardly control their kids like they're uh in the words of aaron Rodgers, puppet masters um so i do uh i think this is i think that is a huge deal this year uh okay. for the grand future of you know of sports um okay i'm gonna give a small commentary we'll leave it toward the end um baby gronk I don't know if it's a pro. I don't know if it qualifies because it's not necessarily pro sports because baby Gronk is probably never going to see um, a professional football field in his life. Um, I'm not sure this would be in my top 10, Mike. So we are not off to the strongest start. Um, but by all means, Mike, you are, uh, listen, I'm, we met in person for the first time last week at uh, the conduct, conduct slash SLA uh, bar night. You're sneaky tall, about six, six, two, six, one and three quarters. Um, so I will, I will show some respect to an individual above six feet tall that I wouldn't normally, normally do, but, but respect Mike. Okay. So that's number five. I'll put an asterisk next to it, but, but okay. Right. What do we got for number four? Uh, number four, I, I will actually, it will be pro sports a hundred percent. Uh, the Colts, Indianapolis Colts, um, their sports betting inside the facility. Um, I think that's a huge, a significant issue, uh, with Isaiah Rogers allegedly violating their gambling policy. I mean, betting on their team and i mean also coming straight from a historic comeback like the the colts gave up in that game it's in the record books now you know of the colts blowing their lead in the second half to the vikings and um uh, because the money the league is taking so much money from these sports books and because sports betting is so widespread now in the united states i feel like this is a, i mean this was the biggest one of the year calvin ridley was one thing jamison williams was another thing but this was in the building on you know associated with the team allegedly so i think uh this is gonna go down as one of the bigger deals of the year um especially for the nfl a, a league that big um that was on my list you look nervous that was a great one definitely on the list the nfl's battle against betting i think is is a moving uh some moving goalposts they keep changing the rules People keep violating it, but I think that is a great one, Mike. So um, I, and as long as they appeared on my list, I'll, you will take credit. But um, I got very nervous with baby Gronk uh, as number five, but number four is very legit. That could have even been higher on the list, but um, yeah, I'll take for it sure. Four. That's fine. Yeah. I think uh, this, the, the one after that I'm going to talk about uh, maybe should have been number four and the baby Gronk, like I said, I, I think Stop long, defending long baby term, you're never, long you're term, not gonna, you're not you know? going to <laughs> long term. Okay. It's going to be a bigger deal. Um, no, so yeah, I mean, because why? Because baby Gronk's gonna be a big deal, and people are gonna talk about him. Absolutely not. no, no. Because I think it's stopping parents from exploiting their kids, or at least it stopped a few parents from exploiting their kids, which I, I think is a big deal. And it's pro sports, Gronkowski. Come on, Hall of Famer. 
<laughs> he's baby Gronk is not Gronk. Okay, whatever. Okay, go, go ahead. Um, so uh, number yeah, three. number three. I'm ready for this one. Uh, this one, I you know, you laughed at me when I when I talked to you about this earlier, but uh, Webinyama and Britney Spears is a bigger deal than a you know. Uh, it, it's just again, these are my tops. These are my top, you know. Oh, I didn't realize. I thought I thought Opinions. these were just like the objective top five, not Mike Kripchenko's oh. crazy top five. <laughs> it's the news, man. I mean, you're gonna tell me that when that exploded, when Benyama and Britney Spears weren't number one in the news for their own right, their own things, and then it got to TMZ. It was getting our sports law stuff to the general public. My grandmother knew about this, you know, like where otherwise sports law wouldn't be on maybe everywhere, uh, you know, on every national television. Uh, this incident with them allegedly, I mean, that's also, it was a big deal as in like what the actual situation was, um, you know, allegedly backhanding, um, you know, having his security backhand, uh, you know, that it was just such a, it brought us into the, into the spotlight this year um, to, to kick it off. So I thought it was a, I thought it was a fun one uh, that I wanted to definitely shine some, shine some light on in the top five this year. Um. I would think that's in the category of Baby Gronk would not be in my top 10, top 15. But, Mike, this is your list, and I will. Um, you. you are allowed to make your list. It's fine. Thank you. I think yeah. I think so far three and five are, are questionable. Four, four is legit. I'm a little nervous about two and one because Snyder's not on it. But, Mike, go ahead. Do your thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the no number pressure. two. No, no, never. Uh, number two, I have the Oakland A's relocation. Um, okay. every, every okay. team's going to Vegas, uh, the situation also with the ownership and the fan base. I mean, they, the fact that they actually played a game, like the fans actually, um, went on strike. I mean, they had like that, that, that I don't, in my life, I don't think that's ever happened. They were pitching in front of no one, you know, I think like, that's a great you know, one. So that, yeah, yeah, that's a big one. Oakland A's relocation. Um, that actually was not on my list. Um, I think that's a really good one. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the St. Louis Rams saga, uh, you know, this was now going back a couple of years, but, uh, the, the art of moving a team from city A to city B does not without its legal hurdles and whatnot. We didn't spend that much time on the podcast, but I do certainly think that's a, a very big, uh, story. So good, good, good one on your part. Um, so now, now we're left at number one, Mike, I'm concerned because your pattern has been odd numbers, weird ones, and then even numbers, good ones. And we're back to an odd number. So what do you got? Uh, yeah, I mean, why I feel that this is number one is because it's it, it was just it's one of the possible greatest future athletes in all of sports right now getting taken down quick. Uh, but he's come back. It's the John Morant situation. Okay. okay. Um, I do. Why? Like I said, I just think it's such a big deal. He's one of the best uh, in the league. I mean, he's the most exciting in the NBA. I'm sorry. Like when he's playing in terms of excitement and entertainment, he's the most exciting. Uh, in, in a lot of sports right now across America. He just like brings that X factor that they don't have. And also I, th why I think it's also a huge thing is outside of just our sports law world, the gun issue in America is like such a hot button topic that having one of the faces of American sports flashing his gun on Instagram live, which is very accessible to anybody. Um, I think it really was like such a big deal this year that um, it opened up a lot more, a lot more conversation than just um, the suspension. Then, you know, in our, in our you know sports world, I think it opened up a lot. And funny enough, since he returned, um, I have to throw this nugget in there. 
uh, and I'm sure you've seen it online as well. Uh, he himself has more wins than the Detroit Pistons um, <laughs> since returning. I, to I thought you were going to talk about he did his uh, gun celebration uh, slash gun dance, whatever you want to call it. Um, not a smart move by John. Um, uh, so, okay, Mike, ready? My top five. Uh, I had I didn't have the A's on. I had the Colts, the, we'll say the betting, the betting saga mm-hmm. uh, with the NFL. And, and John Morant was also on my list. Uh, my list, in order, will go from five to one. I had the NFL betting suspensions um, slash, uh, we'll, we'll call it um, the future of betting in pro sports. Um, we'll see if other leagues pick up the, where the NFL did. Um, I don't know. I, I hear some things, so we'll see what, what ends up being passed. But yes, the NFL's battle with sports betting, I think, is an interesting one because we don't really have the same, seemingly, the same battle being fought uh, in the NBA and Major League Baseball. We'll see if that changes as partnerships. Um, and, and the world of sports betting continues to expand state by state. Um, number four, um, related, I thought this was a really big one. Um, ESPN getting in the betting business and Penn divesting itself of Barstool shares and ESPN becoming ESPN bet. Like, it's kind of related to five, but that's the NFL's battle over here. Like, ESPN for years, like, we'd have Chris Berman doing, like, segments on, like, uh, you know, on NFL Live, like, you know, the, the Raiders are going to win, and it's not going to be close. That was his signal to be like, they're going to cover the spread. And, like, we've gone from that, like, 10 years ago to now, like, ESPN has a betting platform, and they have betting commercials. And, you know, like, obviously, Bar- Barstool's a different entity than ESPN, but the valuations being placed, you know, on these betting properties is huge. Um, I, you know, I won't mention anything, but I, I work, um, I do some deals in the betting space, uh, for different, you know, um, we'll say celebrities or content creators. There's so much money in that space right now. And, and God, God, godly amounts of money being made on the back end by these betting sites. So that's only going to continue. Um, so I think that the, the signal by ESPN and we're not like a media podcast, but I delve into the, the part of like Disney and ESPN and ABC, like ESPN with its like cable bundle made so much money over the last, you know, couple decades. And now with cable dying, they needed to figure out a way to monetize in a really unique way. And licensing the ESPN term out um, to Penn Gaming, I think was a really smart move on their part. Um, we'll see if it's a smart business decision long-term for Penn. Um, but I thought that was a, a, an interesting one and a, and a really seismic shift. Um, okay, number three, we talked about it, John Morant. Uh, not every day that you have a, you know, a superstar in the NBA being, you know, posting about guns, um, you know, not once, not twice, getting in trouble for it again, getting sued. We talked about it on a recent episode, like now getting sued in court for assaulting uh, a, a teenager in a pickup basketball game. Um, kind of, I don't want to say the beginning of the downfall, but a really like it's something that we don't normally see athletes recover from in terms of their marketability. Um and then some kind of ill-advised comments recently. Um, we won't talk about it here, but by John Morant's dad and on recent radio interviews about like really whether John Morant has grown and changed the circle. It seems to be some indications that John has not grown. Um, and like we just mentioned it, within like a week of him coming back to an NBA court, he's doing it. He's he got like some uh, some breakaway, um, some fast break dunk and did a celebration that appeared to be him shooting an assault rifle into like the upper deck of the basketball stadium. And it's like, what are you doing, man? Like, so... Um, yeah, I mean, it's a sports law story in the sense that being sued a couple of times, getting suspended, conduct detrimental to the league. Um, I think it's certainly up there. Okay, now, uh, number two, we talked about it briefly. Uh, you can defend it by saying it's not a 2023 theory story, but Dan Snyder selling the Washington Commanders um, is a story that we've covered really since the inception of this podcast, July 2020, during COVID. I was like one month into my duration on conduct. 
that's when the Washington Post article dropped. And following that saga for three years, um, having Don Van Natta on the podcast, Seth Wickersham, you know, AJ Perez, we had a lot of big names coming on the podcast to talk about it. I think it's one of the stories that our podcast became known for covering. Uh, we had former Washington commanders, employees, cheerleaders on the podcast. You're right that the heavy notes of that story were probably in the previous years. Um, but the fact that it actually happened and the team got sold for like legit billions of dollars, uh, I think the final price tag was seven, maybe six billion. Um, I think that's a story in and of itself that a team like such a distressed asset itself for for billions is huge. And now, don't look now, but the commanders might have the number one overall pick in the draft if um, this, uh, this trend continues. So be quite the turnaround for the commanders. Okay. The number one story is not one that we have talked about in any way, shape, or form. Mike Lawson didn't bring it up. Mike Krepchenko didn't bring it up. We did talk about it in this podcast. If anybody gets those Spotify wrapped, it was our most popular episode of the year. One of our most popular of all time. Mike Krepchenko, do you know what I'm talking about? Is it the McAfee saga? McAfee saga. Yes. Yes. So, um... You know, listen, we we dabble in the weeds. That was our most popular episode. It was a, a masterclass of McAfee, Brett Favre. Um, I think we called it the Brett Favre trilogy of lawsuits. Um, you know, I think speaking about things that like we should pay attention to, like we are, you know, not really like we're not members of the media. We're not credentialed. That said, um, I won't call them out, but one of our conduct detrimental team members has been credentialed through conduct detrimental to go to sports events. So because we kind of are members of the media. So you know, that was a really important case for us, you know, quasi members of the media. Like, you know, would we call Pat McAfee a member of the media? Like, I don't really want to because he doesn't really wear sleeves. And we'll say Pat's a friend of the podcast. He follows us. He's, you know, retweeted our stuff. He even retweeted our, our Gavin White thing with Dr. Pepper. So Pat, I'd, I'd say, is a friend of the show at this point. You know, Pat is a non-traditional member of the media that was talking about the Brett Favre, you know, the welfare fraud allegations. We'll, we'll say it very clearly. Um, you know, their allegations, but he was talking about it in a humorous way. He's like, Brett Favre tied the hands of poor people and then stole the money out of their pocket. Like he wasn't, I guess he is a member of the media, but he wasn't talking like a member of media. He was talking like, 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 I don't know, just like a guy. He was just talking like you would amongst your friends. Nobody, a reasonable viewer of that audience, of that podcast episode that McAfee said that wouldn't think he would be saying, you know, assertable fact, like factual assertions and reporting them in a way that were meant to be truthful. Anything, it was conjecture, it was joking, like no one took that literally. But Brett Favre kind of attacked what was, you know, freedom of uh, freedom of the media, right? Freedom of speech and tried to quell that speech by filing a defamation act by, against McAfee saying, you wrongfully reported that. And he quoted that portion about stealing money, you know, stealing money from the hands of poor people. Um, so, yeah, I think our coverage of that case was important. And I think we were part of a, a big movement that really pressured Favre and uh, basically saying, you look like a complete idiot by bringing more attention to this lawsuit by suing Pat McAfee, by suing Shannon Sharp. Shannon Sharp's also had his case dismissed via motion. I think that might be up on appeal, but at least the trial judge looks like he's kicked that. Um, so, yeah, I think it was an important case to cover. Um, and obviously, you know, people responded. We had a lot of new uh, audience members that picked up from that uh, episode that was in the early part of this year. Um, I think it was like February or March. But, yeah, um, certainly proud of those big uh, big podcasts that pull in larger audiences for uh you know non-traditional stories so yeah shout out to mcafee for um kind of highlighting us but yeah i'd say uh in terms of like sports media and athletes going after media i think it's a big story so um yeah that's i'm happy to make that my my, my number one 
No, that's um, that's a good that's a good number one, especially with the like you said, uh, it's ties to conduct and like you know what what that did for you know us this year and you know even just like like you said, I sent you the raft thing and I was like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize that how big of a deal that McAfee story ended up across different platforms. I mean, Spotify, Apple Music, Twitter, like it was everywhere. I'll, I'll give you an interesting one, more of a current thing as we, we start to wrap this episode up. Were you following this Cam Newton, Debo Samuel yes. dispute? Yes, I am. Um, so for those, well, you you break it down, Mike, as as you're you're better better than I than doing. I'm I'm expecting a short from you on this topic, but I'll I'll tell you why I think it's legally related. But fill our listeners in that have not heard the Cam Newton Debo Samuel spat. We'll say. Yeah. So Cam Newton, as uh, many people may not know, uh, as a lot of players, they have a he has a podcast. You know, he he has um, and he's was talking about Brock Purdy recently and a couple other uh, players in the league calling them game managers and 49ers quarterback, Brock Purdy. important. Yes. Yes. Uh, wow. You know, it's crazy. I'm, I'm so in that world. Brock Purdy is, you know, MVP candidate here. Um, but yeah, 49ers quarterback, Brock Purdy. So Debo's quarterback, Debo Samuel's quarterback. Um, and then uh, Debo Samuel received texts from what he thought was Cam Newton's uh, phone number. It's uh, saying, Hey, it's Cam. Uh, and it's in that, that font that Cam Newton uses. So just to make it even more believable, it was, um, you know, in that very strange font, you hold down on your iPhone and you get like uh, a couple other different characters. So uh, it was in all that, Hey, it's Cam, uh, you know, reaching out to Debo to get him on the podcast to talk about, um, you know, the week. And then he uh, Debo responded, who is this? Uh, And then he said, it's Cam, uh, Cam Newton. uh, And Debo was like, who is this? And basically nothing. Then, of course, the 49ers went out and had a poor outing. Uh, so he received more texts from this from alleged the alleged number. Cam Newton. Yes, yeah. from the alleged uh, Cam Newton kind of ripping on him. Um, and Cam Newton put out a video like I've never, never reached out to you. Well, I don't have you your number. D- so Debo, I'll, I'll fill this part in, which I think is important. So K, uh, K Adams, Debo goes on K Adams show uh, and basically says like, yeah, Cam Newton's been calling me. He asked me to go on his podcast. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not all about that, whatever. So then Cam has to respond and says, like, I don't know who is texting you, calling you, but it's not me. I have no idea who's doing that. I don't have your number. So whoever it is. So um, and then Cam, you know, then we get to this part where Debo then puts the text out to the public to show like, no, no, Cam was texting me. And then it's like, uh, very apparent that wasn't Cam Newton. So, um, well, allegedly not Cam. Newton. We're not going to get sued here by Brett by uh, Brett Farbesk. Did you see? Go ahead, go ahead, Mike. Did you see the video though? So there is a video of the alleged. Someone I don't know that, if that's legitimate though. I don't know. If that's uh, yeah, legitimate. I know. It's like you know, that's Twitter nowadays. But you know, it's some allegedly someone's uh, like cousin some high school worked boys. with. Some yeah, high school, high school or co- oh, there's some. I don't know. What is the allegedly that it's some some kids that have his number through a, a yes through niner a niner source, uh, not through a niner source through another source either th- uh, that played with him at college or coached him at college. Oh, uh, so it's someone's cousin's uncle. It's you know this whole long thing that the kids uh, that allegedly were calling him uh, oh, got made it. up. Um, but yeah, they allegedly called him. It was getting him on the phone. It sounded you know I mean it seemed the video seemed pretty legit, but you know it's uh... well, well the reason I I bring it up here, you know like. Debo Samuel was out on public on Kay Adams show, a very well-known show through FanDuel. Um, and basically just said like, Hey, Cam Newton told, you know, told me this, tried to make me come to his podcast. Like those are statements that 
are not true and you're saying it about another person. So we're talking about defamation and protecting yourself. Debo Samuel did not say that as like, allegedly Cam Newton. He said, Cam Newton called me and tried to get me on his podcast. And, you know, he's trying to be my friend, blah, blah, blah. And that's not true. So, you know, when it comes to a public figure like Cam Newton, you're generally going to be protected by actual malice, right? You have to know the thing is false here. You're saying it anyway. You're saying it with reckless disregard for its truth or falsity, depending on, on what jurisdiction you're in. But that's the general gist of it. Now, Debo and, and Cam are not going to go to court, but you got to be really careful reporting on something you don't know is fact. A, you can be Debo Samuel and look really dumb, right? Um, you know, look really stupid and put those texts out to the public. Um, Debo's on my fantasy team, so um, I, I don't wish any ill upon Debo Samuel. So um, shout out to Debo. But you got to be really careful in this day and age on reporting anything as fact. Because if Cam Newton wasn't a public figure, let's say he was just some random fan or something like that. And he put out someone's name or like, like we talked about on the chief's uh, fan podcast a couple of weeks ago on uh, this alleged, uh, you know, blackface uh, reported incident from Deadspin. Like you gotta be really careful of coming out receipts unless you really know something to be true. Um, you have a level of baked in protection. If you're talking about um, like a public figure, like a Cam Newton, but if you're talking about a private citizen, really just have to show that's false. Um, and then, you know, there's very little bars. I mean, certainly, you know, you got to pretend on your state, you got to look at your state and you got to look at what jurisdiction you're in and all that fun stuff. But um, you got to be really careful in this day and age and reporting something as being verifiable fact, it's false. So yeah, Debo, um, you know, let it be a good example, a learning lesson for anyone out, out here about to put someone on blast for text they get from a random number and they think it's somebody. So I just pointed out, it's a re recent, uh, recent illustrative example. Um, but um, yeah, so I, I think, Mike, you know, we'll keep this, um, you know, your appearance in this one pretty short. Um, I, I I think many of our, uh, our audience knows at this point, you are a 1L. You just finished fall 1L year. You still ready to go back to law school after uh, fall 1L finals? Like they didn't they didn't beat you up too bad? No, I'm actually more excited because now I kind of have a grasp of what law school is a little bit more like and what my schedule is like. So now I feel a little bit more confident and uh, getting better. And I, I, like I said, I, I love this stuff. And I, now that I'm starting to learn the law and understand a lot of the stuff that you guys have been talking about over the last few years, uh, that's been good. Um, well, law school is a marathon, not a sprint, no matter how you do in your first semester, make sure you keep it up for semester number two. Um, there's a final note before we get out of here, two things, uh, New York law school soccer competition. We just, uh, active registration is live. We invite schools from around the country to compete you don't really have to be a soccer fan. You kind of just need to be a sports fan in general to understand kind of the problem sets that we're doing. They're really applicable to any sport, but you know, obviously the, the figures that we're plugging in are specific to uh, soccer. Um, but these sports competition circuits, I got a job with a baseball agency as a 2L because of my participation uh, in the baseball, Tulane baseball arbitration competition. So um, you're looking for jobs, you're looking to network um, as we preach every episode, like, I don't know. If you get your school to pay for a trip to New York, it could be certainly worse things to do. Uh, Mike, I expect you to be competing in this competition. I won't, I have to, uh, you know, I can't, I have to recuse myself to be a judge in your round, but you should be competing in this. I'll have to look into it. Look into it. Okay. should look into it. Uh, and then last uh, but not least, we are going to be announcing our, uh, our conduct detrimental board for the 2024 year. That'll be released at some point in uh, 2024. And we'll do this as a kind of podcast exclusive. So our, our audience Get a head start on this. We are going to bring back uh, officially the 10 under 10 series. So if you know of someone that has graduated from law school, they're within 10 years of that law school graduation and they work in some type of sports law capacity. Just let us know who it is. And if it's you and you're listening to this podcast, you're like, I deserve an award. Just reach out to us. Um, the best way to do it. If you find me on social, that's also okay. Uh, but con, C-O-N, detrimental at gmail.com. 
and just put in the subject line 10 under 10 submission. Um, and I don't know if you want to write a little blurb about yourself or you just want to shoot us your LinkedIn account. That's totally fine too. If you want to get lazy, that's all good. So 10 under 10 is back. The board is back. Conic detrimental back better than ever. And uh, yeah, I appreciate everyone for hanging us with these, the year of 2023. And uh, yeah, this will be 2020, 2021, 2020. Yeah. Next year will be our fifth, our fifth calendar year of the podcast, which is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Um, Mike, anything to add before we put this episode in the books? No, just a happy new year. And uh, I'm excited for 2024 to get off to a hot start. Um, okay. My, my last one, I have a lot of future bets that finished with the Buffalo bills making the playoffs. Um, uh, I'm just going to say if, if, and when the bills make the playoffs, I'm going to be sitting on a lot of weird future bets. You know, those weird futures. I tell you that when I combine basketball and baseball and hockey and a lot of weird bets, I did a bunch of them. And a lot of them end with the Buffalo bills making the playoffs that I grabbed at plus 400, uh, looking like we're in the clear here. They're now about minus a thousand to make the playoffs. So that my friends will be our better edge, best bet, bet of the year. That's what it was grabbing the Buffalo bills at plus 400. They went all the way up to plus 500, but you know, we got to, we got to dabble. We grabbed, we very, uh, um, very recklessly parlayed that with a couple things. I did not take it straight anywhere, but we paid off. Uh, Mike, you've been excellent rookie conduct detrimental rookie of the year in 2023. You can make a plaque. Happy to sign it for you. Um, you. all good. Uh, and, I'll just uh, use the, I'll use the picture. I'll, uh, I'll send you that picture and get it signed that we had, took at, uh, oh, <laughs> SLA good call. Yes. That, <laughs> I'm happy to tweet that out for you. Um, good stuff. Um, Mike, great, great, uh, you know, great Thank having you. you on the pod, happy and healthy. And to all of our listeners, we'll be back in 2024, bigger and better than ever with more sports law to cover. And with that, we will put this episode in the books and we'll see you next year on more episodes of conduct detrimental. 